Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com is brought to you by only the very best in BJJ and MMA clothing. Talking about ADK Fightwear. Look, there's a lot of places where you can go get a high-quality rash guard. There's also a lot of places out there where you can get a low-cost rash guard. But there is just one place in the whole world where those two worlds intersect, and that's at ADKFightwear.com. You can head there right now and pick up their Go Green Rash Guard for just 30 bucks, and it's not what you'd expect from a standard $30 rash guard. These things hold up against the test of time, roll after roll after roll after roll. It just keeps kicking. And if you head there today and use promo code TURTLE, that's T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, you're going to get it for just $24 instead of that 30 That's right. Brand new rash guard, high quality, 24 bucks. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Greenland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today we have the pleasure of speaking to Hot Sauce Scott Holtzman, fresh off his victory over Alain Patrick at UFC 229. Scott, uh, you know, those elbows that we saw you put him away with are not something we've seen out of you, you know, regularly before. We've, we've seen some good crown and pound out of you before, but is that something you were working on specially for this fight or just something you got to unload for the first time here? Uh, no, that, that's, uh, man, I have so many tools. I can't ever, I'll never be able to use them all during a whole career. So, um, sometimes, each fight if there's a new tool or something it's just situation or you know I, i'm not sure but there's stuff buried deep in there i've probably already forgotten more than i know <laughs> fair enough fair enough so um you know obviously it was early enough in the night that you got to watch some of the other card were you surprised that you know given all the finishes on the card you didn't get a performance bonus with such a vicious knockout uh I don't know. I was a little surprised, but there were some other good knockouts too. You know, Nick Lance had a decent knockout. I'm sure he was maybe thinking he was in the talks for it. And then, uh, Luke K had a real nice knockout, but I don't know. I, I'm just, if you take a look at my fight and what I did and what I accomplished and two to one underdog, all that rah, rah. And then to get an elbow knockout, which is not as common. Um, you know, I thought I was, should have been, a little more serious in, in the talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we sort of thought so too. And it, I've always wondered: is that something when you have a finish early in the night on a card that's this big? Is that something you like watch for and root for on the rest of the card? You know, like do you hope for less finishes later on? Uh, nah, not anymore. When I was early, I did that, but now it's like you can't control it anyway, and it's probably going to happen. So <laughs> you just try to hope that yours is the most spectacular or somehow they're feeling like giving you some charity that night, which, uh, they weren't, they wanted to give charity to other people. Yeah. And, and obviously there were some other good fights on the card too. And before we get to talking about what's next for Scott Holtzman, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, it obviously is a monumental card, uh, some fighters, you know, head home or head back to the hotel after their fight. Some hang out in the locker room. Some go find some seats in the stands. Where were you when all of the mayhem uh, took place during that fight card? Uh, I was actually up in a suite. I kind of snuck out. We're not supposed to leave uh, from underneath, but 
I snuck out, and uh, my manager Danny had a some friends with a suite, so I watched it from up there. So we were kind of out of the, out of harm's way, and I had a lot of people call and check on me, but uh, we were we were all good. We we had the catbird seat up there. We saw the the fight in the octagon and in the crowd. Awesome. So then you uh, you didn't have to to worry about your own well being. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's talk about what's next for Scott Holtzman because I think you've kind of snuck up on people here. You've won three in a row, and and I think probably the hype could be a lot bigger, especially given such a vicious finish, but I think you've earned the right to to make a pretty big step up. Do do you got a name on the end of your tongue about who you think is next? Um... Yeah, I don't know. I'd like the top 20 guy. I know uh, Jim Miller's available, so um, I think that'd be a good fight. He's kind of a, you know, he's he's possibly going into the Hall of Fame, and he kind of uh, bounced back his last fight and looked real good. So um, I think that's uh, that's probably that's who I'm looking for next. We'll see, uh, you know, if schedules line up. This game is about timing a lot of times. So, so I, I got a couple we'll of thoughts. Yeah, a couple of follow-up questions on that. First of all, you said, you know, timing is obviously a thing. How, how ready are you to get back in there? I mean, it was a longer fight, but but certainly not a ton of damage to you. Um, we'll see. We'll see at the opportunity. You know, I'm still waiting on uh, some testing of my hands. I just saw the hand specialist today, and I've got to follow up some more. So, um, you know, I have to, have to get my injury filled up first. And then, uh, then I'll be ready to go. That that makes a lot of sense. Now, the the second follow up question I had for you is: Is Jim Miller? I mean, obviously a great name for a call out here. You like you said, he's probably a Hall of Famer. He's had some huge, very exciting fights. What what else draws you to sort of his name, other than you know, obviously the the late career resurgence he seems to be on. Uh, just trying to find a guy with a, you know, that's on the fringe of getting me into the rankings, you know, and has a big name, has lots of fans, uh, is a good fighter, uh, all that mess. So, um, just seem to think that's where we thought maybe I was trying to get the fight with him last time. We thought maybe we'd get it, but we didn't. So, um, yeah, if our timing can line up here, I think it'd be a good matchup and I think it makes sense and we can... Uh, be on the main card and all that jazz. Yeah, that that certainly would be exciting and definitely well overdue. So I I got a couple other questions for you too. You know I know obviously you're you're living on the East Coast for the most part, but I know that you're still uh, working with John Crouch. We talked to Brian Barberena before about sort of training uh, far away from where you live. Is that kind of the situation you're working with here too? And, and how difficult is it to do a training camp so far away from your home? Um. Yeah, that's that's the situation I'm in, and it's tough. Uh, you know, I got a had a five month old baby, as you know, a lot of people know now. Um, so had to be away from him. It's tough. Uh, so we would we definitely, you know, before the next fight, need to go back to the drawing board and see what we're gonna do. So, and do you mean that by not sure you're going to do training camp at the lab? It might possibly be flying people out your way. Is it, you know, that what you mean? Uh, no, I can't really say that. It'd be hard to, it'd be hard now to not do the training camp at the lab. I mean, that's just, it's just a, a home to me. So, um, and you know, I owe a lot of my success to the lab. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want to say if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but, um, 
you know, I think it's the hardest working gym in the world, and that's that's where I want to be. So um, we'll have to we'll have to make some decisions. Maybe I'll pack the baby up on my back, and we'll we'll go out there. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. So the only other thing I wanted to ask you before we let you go out of here too is I'm a big fan of the origin name of MMA nicknames. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to to talk about. Uh, you've got one of the most unique nicknames in all of the UFC with Hot Sauce. How'd the nickname come about? Is there a funny story behind it? Uh, you know, sort of, why did it uh, stick? <laughs> yeah, no, not really a funny story. I had a, an old friend, my first office job before I started fighting. Uh, his name was Adam Scott, and he noticed that I put hot sauce on everything. So he kind of started calling me that around the office, and then he ended up, I started training jujitsu, and he kind of followed me over there, and he started calling me hot sauce around the gym, so it kind of stuck. <laughs> But, you know, that, that everybody tries to give you those crazy nicknames like Pitbull and Killer and, <laughs> and shit like that. And that just ain't me, man. So um, I was going to go without a nickname. And then that one, I was like, ah, got a good ring to it. I do like hot sauce. It makes sense. So I'll roll with it. All right. Yeah, it certainly is fitting. We we really enjoy it. So, Scott, uh, you know, looking forward to whenever that next fight is. Hope the hands heal up well. Looking forward to seeing whether or not that Jim Miller fight works out. And uh, we thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thank you guys. And that interview with Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman was brought to you by the only company that delivers a BJJ shirt to your front door month after month. I'm talking about BJJ Tea Club. Look, these guys are changing the game when it comes to subscription services. They're not sending you toothbrushes or kale or other crap that you don't need to your door. They're refreshing your wardrobe with high-quality BJJ-themed t-shirts, and they're doing it with no contracts and no strings attached. Go to BJJTeaClub.com, BJJTeeClub.com right now, and you can get your very first shirt for only $7.50 a month with promo code FLOW. That's F-L-O, just like the site, Flow Combat, F-L-O, and it's going to get you a $7.50 shirt. Plus, they're not just going to send a shirt to you. They're going to send one to you and one to an at-need youth. That's right. You get a shirt, the kid gets a shirt, and everybody feels good. BJJTclub.com. So welcome to another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my main man, Shockwave Dave Tremonti. Dave, crazy little weekend we had, but let's start by talking about Scott Holtzman's call-out. What'd you think? OMG, Gumby, you're going to make me wait to talk about UFC 229 so we can talk about <laughs> Scott Holtzman? I'm happy to do it, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I'm very excited by Scott Holtzman. Coming off the big win this past weekend... Uh, I've always loved his nickname, and I've always thought he had a lot of potential. And just call me crazy, I'm not just saying this because he did our show, I have a feeling he's about to go on a run right now. The call-out of Jim Miller, interesting. I like it. He's obviously a name in the division. Um, you know, he's one and four or five in his last six fights. So is he someone that necessarily gets him in the top 15? Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's certainly a name. He could have called out Dan Hooker or Francisco Trinaldo, number 14 or 15. That would have gotten him in the top 15. But regardless of the call-out, I'm excited by which direction Scott Holtzman's career is headed right now. Yes, and, and like you said, he could go on a little bit of a run here. He's kind of already gone on a little bit of a run. It's three in a row right now for Holtzman, and a vicious knockout for the third one kind of puts an exclamation point on that run. Uh, you know, a fringe top 15 guy might be just the thing he needs right now. 
I'm not sure he would have gotten Dan Hooker if he called him out. So that's why I, I think Jim Miller is a real smart move here. Yeah, well said. I mean, listen, he's on a three-fight fucking win streak, so the time is now. Very excited for his potential. Also very excited to talk to you about UFC 229. Uh, it was uh, a spectacle, to say the <laughs> least. Uh, I don't even know how I want to go about breaking this down. Let's start with this, and we'll get to the semantics and the chicanery and the drama and the pro-wrestling angle of it all. Let's just talk about the performance. What a fucking performance by Khabib. Yeah, and, and it, it was a lot of, you know, pretty much anybody who broke down this fight and said that Habib was going to win, this looked a lot like what they drew up for a plan, right? He got the takedowns fairly early. He wore Connor out a little bit. He looked good on top. I will say Connor looked very composed from the bottom. Looked like he knew what he was doing from the bottom. Looked like he wasn't wasting energy from the bottom. He definitely took da- less damage than most of Habib's opponents. But in the end, it, it was a typical Habib performance. I mean, he got a little bit of tired in the third and failed on a couple of takedowns. But in the end, his grappling is better than anybody in the division, possibly anybody in the UFCs, apart from maybe his teammate, Daniel Cormier. It's just exactly what you come to think about it. And at this point in time, I feel like he's transcended into that Anderson Silva range where you just have to pick him until he loses, right? Like you, now that he's beaten the crazy striker, you now have to just assume he's the winner of every matchup. You don't pick against him until he happens to lose. Yeah, I think that's all well said. You know, I've gone through a range of emotions about uh, both the aftermath of the fight and the fight itself. I'll start with the fight itself because that's what we're on right now. So when it was over, I, as a Habib fan, and I was kind of rooting for Connor in a lot of ways because to me, Connor is the UFC. He's better for the, the company. Deal. Yeah, he's better for the company, and for whatever crazy fucking reason, I am a UFC fan, so I root for good UFC business. Connor is good UFC business. I, I think as he's a, a funny, I think as an MMA uh, fan, we just root for companies to do well, and and yeah. not that a comp- this company won't do well under Habib, but if we want healthy MMA. Connor makes MMA healthier and it puts it in the public eye more. So if you are a UFC fan, there's part of you, even if you hate Connor, that would have liked to seen him win for the company. That's exactly right. Listen, I go back to walking in to a blockbuster special interest section in the mid 90s, finding UFC tapes in the special interest section at the bottom and then having John McCain call it human cockfighting and it being banned in 49 states and it going into his dark days. So for me, from Chuck Liddell to Brock Lesnar to GSP to the Ronda Connor era, ever since that time in the mid-90s, I root for the UFC to have mainstream appeal. I don't know why. I have no vested interest in it. I don't make money when the UFC makes money. But for whatever fucking reason, I root for it. So yeah, that's exactly it. I was rooting for Connor because I, for the first time, not the first time, I shouldn't say that, but I had coworkers talking to me about the fight going into the weekend. Mm-hmm. That typically never happens. It happens in the Ronda and Connor era, and it certainly happens a lot with Connor now. A lot of them had seen his Netflix documentary, and that's how they grew to like him. Now, all that being said, I'm a huge Khabib fan. It went exactly how I 
thought it would. It went how we broke it down last week on the show. But so my point being, after the fight was over, I was kind of almost laughing about it. How did the world convince itself that Connor ever stood a chance? How could the world convince itself that Connor could knock him out? I said it last week on the show, Gumby. This guy is, he's massive. He's huge. He cuts down from about 200 pounds. Connor couldn't knock Nate Diaz out. I didn't think he would knock Khabib out. Khabib spars with DC, Rockhold, and they say he holds his own. So that's kind of where I was at. But then as the dust settles and I went back and watched the fight already, it's like you said, Connor's game plan was the best game plan anyone has ever fought against Khabib. Al Iaquinta had better submission defense against Khabib, but he did not fight as smart a fight as Connor did. Edson Barbosa did not fight as smart a fight as Connor did as another striker. Connor's game on the bottom was to not explode out, not waste energy, get his butterfly hooks back in. He did a wonderful job of that. And in round three, he really, he won round three on all judges scorecards. He won round three. It's the really, other than the controversial Gleason Tebow round, it's the only round Habib has ever lost. He looked very good in round three. Now, John Cavanaugh went on the Joe Rogan show, said he wished he was a little more offensive-minded in the preparation of the fight. I guess my point being, Habib is a tough puzzle to crack, and in the end, he didn't crack him, but he's come the closest. It's not the craziest idea to see a rematch and see if Connor maybe just goes for broke a little quicker and can try to knock him out. That being said, my money is on the same exact fucking outcome. Yeah, and I don't want to see the rematch yet, but I do think that after watching this fight, this is not a fight that we, we finish watching and we say, well, Connor never deserves the rematch. He got the shit kicked out of him. He got beat. You're, you're 100% right, but I, I don't think a rematch is completely out of the question. What I do think should happen is you should see a fight with Tony Ferguson or the Poirier-Diaz uh, winner next before we see a Connor fight. And, you know, Connor maybe can go get one non-title fight in there somewhere uh, to get ready. But I, I think that what you said about how Connor fought a very smart fight and had some openings, and could have just been a tad more offensive, and we, it could have been a different fight. It bodes well for somebody like Tony Ferguson, who is the most incredibly offensive-minded person I've seen in, in some time. Um, is his game plan always, you know, like, smart and sharp? Shit, no. Dude did fucking somersaults in the cage the other day. But, like, it, it would be at least interesting to see, like, a more offensive-minded approach at Habib, and it gives other fighters hope, I feel like. Yeah, I think uh, Habib goes down as the greatest lightweight of all time. Uh, he beats everyone in the past. You can throw your BJ pens at me. Uh, you can throw whoever the fuck you want at me. He beats Benson Henderson. He would absolutely murk Frankie Edgar, who he's two times the size of Frankie Edgar, and I love Frankie Edgar. He's the mafia don of the UFC. He beats everyone in the future. I, I don't care what happens 10 years from now. He beats them. He beats them all. Yeah. But I, the one style that I do need to see before he retires, I think Tony Ferguson does have the antidote. It's that in-your-face pressure striking, and he's good off his back, and he has a gas tank that doesn't break, and he himself does not mentally break. Let's face it, love Connor to death, he kind of mentally breaks. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Tony Ferguson's just the right kind of crazy to fight Habib right now. Um, and that that's just the best way anybody could put it. Is he's the right kind of crazy. 
All right, so that breaks down the fight. We'll talk very quickly, Gumby, about the aftermath and the business of UFC 229. The aftermath, I think what Habib did was actually pretty funny. Dylan Dennis is a very punchable person. <laughs> the fact that he attacked him like an eagle and his nickname is the Eagle, it's the stuff of legends. I think his win against Connor uh, introduced him to a mainstream audience. I think him attacking Dylan Dennis in this controversial ending with Dana not putting the belt on him potentially made him a star where people know the name now. He has a whole country behind him, and I know Russians might not be buying domestic U.S. pay-per-views, but the point being, he might be a guy that could pop a 500K buy rate, which the UFC would take. Before this Connor buy rate, they were averaging about like 150, 200 maybe per pay-per-view, this one apparently is somewhere between two and three million. It's not going to be three million, but Dana White claims it to be over two million. We'll obviously wait for Dave Meltzer to weigh in. Uh, the bottom line is, I, I think what Habib's teammates did was horrific. I don't necessarily feel that badly about what Habib did. Where do you land on that? Yeah, I, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. What Habib did was wrong, and it should be seen as wrong. And everybody should recognize the fact that it is wrong and it shouldn't happen in sports. But we also shouldn't be, like, painting it as if it's this, like, disgusting thing that happens. Like, dude, every fucking sport that anybody here watches has a brawl in it and probably has in the last calendar year, right? There were, like, 12 baseball fights this year. Baseball seen as this, like, docile, boring sport, and they get in fights. Hockey fucking encourages fights, for Christ's sakes. So, like... While we're talking about, like, unsanctioned fighting happening near a fight being despicable, like, it's not that bad, okay? It's not good, but it's also not that bad. The second thing I think about the aftermath, too, is all the Habib fans crying that, like, he's having his purse withheld. The dude's going to get paid. He's going to get fined for punching somebody who's a cornerman or going after somebody who's a cornerman. But he's going to get paid. It's probably going to be like 2-3% of his overall person. It's not going to be a big deal. He's going to serve a three-month suspension, and you'll see him again at the beginning of the year. So, like, everybody's making it to be a big deal, whether the repercussions or the actions. Neither of them all that big of a deal. And you're right, probably sells better as a result. Yeah, I got to say, I just I, I don't know Habib personally, but from what I know of him, I, I don't think he gives a fuck. I think this is a man of honor. I think he'll get his purse eventually if it's not $2 million, And let's also not forget he probably got a little bit of the pay-per-view points too, which the UFC will not withhold. The, the purse is coming from NYSEC. He's going to be fine. This was about more than money to him. He's a man of honor. And I think what he did will actually get him paid more in the future. I know he doesn't have a ton of fights left in him. Uh, but now he's in a position where maybe he fights GSP in a massive super fight, or maybe his fight against Tony does that 400, mm -hmm. 500K pay-per-view buys. I don't think he's going to be hurting, and I'll tell you what, Vladimir Putin called him up after the win to congratulate him. He might just drop him some cryptocurrency as a thank you. He represented Russia well. He has nothing to be ashamed of. His cornermen, on the other hand, I think will never fight in the UFC again. I think what they did was disgusting to go after someone who had just fought a fight. I don't care if Connor fucking swung at them first. To me, what Habib did after fighting someone and then jumping out of the cage, I don't know. That's just kind of gangster. Uh, as far as the pay-per-view buys go, do you want to weigh in real quick with a prediction? It's not going to be three. Dana White says it's over two. 
if you believe him, where do you think it finally comes in at? I'll probably assume less than two and a half. Um, usually when he gives us these numbers, he inflates a little bit. If he says it's definitely over two, I'm buying it. If he says it's trending three, I'm going to give him two and a half or less. So I'll say 2.3 million. Yeah. Okay. That's totally fair. I, I, I'll follow the same as you. Like I said, anecdotal evidence. I had people talking about this before and after. You know, when Ronda Rousey lost, no one spoke about Amanda Nunez. But I had people still today, a few days later, asking me about Habib and what his deal was, quote-unquote. So I think this was a massively successful pay-per-view, in line with the Nate Diaz uh, sequel, and obviously it looks like trending more. Now, speaking of pay-per-views and pay-per-view buy rates, Gumby, let's get to the news of the day. That was UFC 229. We just wrapped it up. UFC 230 has a new main event. Main event, excuse me. It's going to be DC defending his title belt against Derek Lewis, who I think also uh, benefited from this past weekend. He had a big win, last second KO. He obviously has the best Instagram feed in the game. He has fans. He now gets the title shot versus DC at MSG November 3rd, at least as of taping. Uh, Dana White says it's done. We'll go on his word, LOL. Um, Derek Lewis apparently said he wasn't even sure of it, but he's a weird guy. He's obviously <laughs> going to be there for a title fight and the payday. But the weird repercussion of this is now the Eubanks title defense against Shevchenko is off, and UFC 231 is going to be Joanna versus Shevchenko. It's back for UFC 231. Break down what happened here between 2.30 and 2.31. All right, I'm going to give you a couple of takes here. So first of all, this goes perfectly in tune with what I said last week about Eubanks versus Valentina Shevchenko and why I had no problem with it, is that you, you have to go into this with the mentality of we are booking only guaranteeing that we need a title fight on every card. So when the UFC was booking UFC 2.30 and they couldn't find anybody to you know, fight a title fight then, Ioana Janjacek wouldn't move up for it. They found somebody for Shevchenko to fight. Now we have a title fight on this pay-per-view. But when Derek Lewis wins that fight and Derek Lewis cuts one of the best promos ever, my balls was hot, is one of the best promos ever, they know instantly they have a star, they have somebody who they can sell pay-per-views to, they have somebody who DC will accept a fight on somewhat short notice against, right? Because... He's. You couldn't tell DC right now to go fight Stipe at 2.30. He would tell you no. You can tell DC to go fight Derek Lewis at 2.30, and he's going to say yes. So you like, it was the perfect storm of cutting a good promo, being a viable candidate, being somebody that DC feels comfortable beating, and as a result, it moves Eubanks off. And again, while I was one of the few people defending Eubanks being on there, now that they don't need the pay-per-view... Go make the better pay-per-view fight, which is Shevchenko versus Jan Jacek one month later. Yep, I, I I actually really like how this played out. I obviously wasn't really looking forward to a Eubanks for Shevchenko fight. I've been very interested by Shevchenko versus JJ. I believe Shevchenko, if I'm not mistaken, has a win over JJ in Muay Thai. Correct. I could be wrong. I believe Maybe that's, two. Okay, that is correct. I believe yeah. two. I, I didn't know. Didn't know if it was like an internet message board rumor. But, you know, obviously, uh, from the same region of the world, very similar type striking. Uh, I give the edge to Valentina as far as grappling and ground game, but I don't think Valentina is going to look to take her down. I think you're going to get a really exciting 
Muay Thai style MMA fight, which we've seen so many times out of JJ. You think back to like her, uh, Jessica Penny beat down, her Carolina Kowalkovic, mm-hmm. uh, five round fight. Yeah, it's going to be a very exciting fight. So I'm happy with that. And then, yeah, you know, DC, it's kind of like I said on our Twitter at Top Turtle MMA, uh, DC versus Derek Lewis. It kind of reminds me of Habib versus Connor. You know, all Derek Lewis is going to be doing is looking for that big overhand, uh, right. You know, and, and, and who's Connor to say he can't land left. it? Who's to say he can't yeah. land it? <laughs> who's, yeah, who's to say? But, you know, obviously my money is on DC picking him up, slamming him on his head. And Derek Lewis is actually worse on the ground than Connor is. So if you want my <laughs> prediction, it's an early second round choke, uh, if not late first round. But that all being said, uh, I'm happy with the way this played out. Me too. So, you know, good on the UFC. All right, we'll move then to our combat countdown. Uh, we were thinking about it. You know, so much has been said about what the UFC should do with Connor, what they should do with Habib, uh, all the fucking emotion on Twitter this past weekend, and MMA social media about the fallout of UFC 229. MMA Twitter can turn into a very dark place sometimes. Uh, you hear a lot of complaints from UFC fans, and... We think sometimes it's unwarranted, so we're going to try to bring a bit of positivity to this week's Combat Countdown. We're going to break down uh, and count down the top five complaints from USC fans that really, maybe they're a little unwarranted. Sometimes they might be warranted. We'll talk about that. But for the most part, it's kind of like STFU. Just fucking enjoy the sport, because it's the best sport on Earth and in the history of the world. So Gumby... I ask you, are you ready for our positive combat countdown this week, looking at the top five complaints of UFC fans that they really shouldn't be complaining about? All right, well, let's start with number five. It's bad matchmaking, the complaint of bad matchmaking. Yeah, look, we all get down on all kinds of different things in the UFC, right? We're fans, you know, like fans of every sport get down on things. We're here to show you the bright side of things, the silver lining, so to speak. So we get down on bad matchmaking, and it's sort of what we were just talking about. People really bent out of shape that Derek Lewis is getting the shot instead of Stipe Miocic, and that, you know, Sajara Eubanks was about to get a title shot instead of Ioannion Jacek. But I think the thing that we forget about when we're complaining about the matchmaking is that they're doing what they can with the time given, right? DC's never going to take a fight with Stipe Miocic on four weeks' notice. Will he take one with Derek Lewis? Hell yeah, I'll take one with Derek Lewis because he doesn't need that much time to prepare. So we got to remember that sometimes when we're complaining about the matchmaking, it's out of the UFC's hand. The UFC would love to do Stipe versus DC on short notice rather than DC versus uh, Derek Lewis. They just probably can't. So as a little bit of a silver lining, we get some sort of fun matchups, and uh, maybe we could ease up a little bit on the the complaints about uh, matchmaking. Hey, listen, th- this is the same matchmakers that brought us Condit Lawler, oh. uh, Lawler Rory McDonald, um, McGregor versus Habib, Tony Ferguson versus Pettis this past weekend it was one of the best rounds of fighting I've maybe ever seen. So the matchmaking's doing something right. Obviously, they're going to take their lumps, but they have a lot to deal with injuries. And like you said, people maybe not wanting to step up on short notice. That's their prerogative. They're mm-hmm. trying to get wins. We'll move from matchmaking to what happens after the matchmaking, 
And that's the rankings. Yeah, fans yeah. complaining about the rankings. Yeah, and the rankings, too, is a tough one for fans to wrap their heads around, mostly because a lot of people don't understand the math that goes behind it. you got to remember, when you got 5, 10, 15 people voting on of rankings, things can change for really dumb reasons. I saw people get real bent out of shape about the fact that Nikita Krylov went up a spot at light heavyweight after not fighting, and then went back down a spot the next week again after not fighting, and they think there's some kind of travesty going on, like these these voters or these panelists are changing people up and down for like arbitrary reasons, but the real reason was is just that Tiago Silva went up to light heavyweight for one week, stole a couple of Krylov's votes, he dropped down, and then the next week, he went back to middleweight because he decided that that wasn't the right spot for him. Krylov got those votes back and went back up. It, there's usually a simple explanation for why people are going up and down, and usually the reason is not that the panelists are crazy. It, so uh, this is partially the fault of the UFC for not educating the fans on how this system works, Uh but at the same time, it's like maybe not as bad as we make it out to sound. I will say, I think the rankings when they were first introduced uh, at the you know behest of Fox, I think they were really bad. I think from what I know, there were like two hundred people voting, and all you needed was a name and you know a, a Twitter handle, and they were giving it to anyone. Something has happened in the past two years where the rankings are much better now. I complain myself about them every once in a while, but it's like you said. Uh, more or less, they typically get it right. Mm-hmm. We'll move then to number three, Fight Pass and Fight Pass cards. Yeah, and, and people complain about Fight Pass cards just not being stacked enough, and I, I get that too. Like, you want to watch the best fighters every single weekend, but it's just not possible, right? Like, there's not enough best fighters to go around. In the meantime, like, too, you see the cards like UFC Sao Paulo that have been crazy exciting with, like, crazy finishes. I grew up really loving MMA, but not loving all of the guys at the top. So I love those down card guys that have the like good story. And especially because, you know, we've interviewed a ton of them. And not just because we've interviewed a ton of them, but a lot of them have exciting styles, exciting backstories. And, uh, you know, I- I'm a big fan of the-, the Fight Pass cards for those reasons. But for those people who aren't, you know, like it- it's not a mandatory thing to watch every weekend. So... Uh, I always think that we could lay up on the, the Fight Pass cards because it's also how the, the bottom guys make their money. Well said. We'll move then to number two. Uh, and it's the typical complaint that Dana isn't promoting blank fighter, that Dana isn't getting behind a certain fighter. Uncle Dana has it out for a certain fighter. Just general lack of Dana promoting complaints. Yeah, and we got that about Habib leading into this fight, and and Tyrone Woodley talks about it all the time. And, you know, could Dana White do more? Fucking absolutely he could, right? He could get behind Tyrone Woodley more. But one of the things I think we should note, too, is that remember us us as fans will not take any fighter shoved down our throat, right? Like, if the UFC decided to get behind, let's say, Calvin Gastelum tomorrow, right? And we got promotion after promotion with Calvin Gastelum. Look, Calvin Gastelum's a great guy. Super nice guy. Fun to watch fight. Absolutely. All those things. But, is he like a superstar in the making? No. No matter how good he fights, he is not going to be a household name at any point in time in the near future. Just because he doesn't have that Connor attitude, or he doesn't have the Nate Diaz attitude, or, you know, he doesn't have that Darren Till attitude. You know, so until those types of fighters have those t- types of personalities that link with fans, there's really only so much the UFC can do. Yeah, I mean, I think 
the Sage Northcutt and Page kind of era Soured of it. the UFC marketing machine pushing people down our throats. I, you know, the WWE goes through this all the time, trying to build new stars. Right now, they try to push Roman Reigns down fans' throats, and he's really rejected by the hardcore of hardcore fans. UFC kind of went through something similar with Sage. You mm-hmm. know they just want him to be their poster child. He has a 12-pack of abs. It makes sense. Um, but it's like you said, they cannot force it on people. It really does come pretty organically, yep. more or less. So let's r- break this down. Number five was matchmaking. Number four was rankings. Number three was fight pass, fight pass cards. Number two was Dana doesn't promote blank fighter. And now let's bring it home, Gumby. The number one thing that fans complain about that, you know, maybe they shouldn't. Just put it into a little perspective. It's casual fans. Yeah, let me give you the the silver lining to casual fans. Casual fans exist in every fucking sport. You know, if you're a big baseball fan, you've probably sat in a ballpark next to somebody who's got no idea what's going on or is telling you about how some random player on some random team is like the best player ever. I've gone to Fenway Park a hundred times and sat there and listened to Red Sox fans talk about how great Jason Veritek is. And look... Is Jason Veritek a baseball player? Yes, so he's got to have some skill, but he's not that good. And uh, when casual fans do this in MMA and casual fans get behind somebody or or go all fanboy on Conor McGregor, these are the types of people who are buying those pay-per-views to get to the 2.3 million like we were talking about. These these are the the fans who are hardcores don't get pay per view buys up to 2.3 million. As much as I'd like there to be, there's not 2.3 million fans uh, who are diehards. So if we really want this sport to progress, we really want it to get bigger, we're gonna have to take some uneducated fans. And yeah, don't get me wrong, they bother me too. I've I've wanted to get into a Twitter fight or two, uh, but maybe maybe they also serve a benefit. I love it. This was our positive energy combat <laughs> countdown. If you loved it, hit us up on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. If you absolutely fucking despised it, you can hit us up at Top Turtle MMA and give us your feedback, what we missed, what we should have added. Uh, another good combat countdown in the books. Keep following the Twitter feed both for combat countdowns and our prize giveaways. We gave away a prize last week, a Dan Henderson autograph. And if you don't like Dan Henderson, well, he's an American legend and that would make you a terrorist. Gumby, by the way, did anyone sponsor our Combat Countdown this week? This Combat Countdown had been brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Look, we've all used those bulky mouthguards before, but Sisu has changed the game. Look, you can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with this mouthguard up in your mouth. Check out their Max Guard. It's great for jiu-jitsu or MMA or what other combat sport you do. SISUGuard.com. Check out Sisu. And we'd like to thank them as well as our other sponsors, BJJT Club and ADK Fightwear for taking care of us each and every week. We'd also like to thank all of the fans out there. Make sure you follow us at Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA on Twitter. And be sure to email the show if you've got any questions, TopTurtleMMA at gmail.com. We'd also like to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. I am Daniel Gumby Freeland. He was Shockwave Dave Tremonti, and this was an episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We will see you next week.